0: So today we're going to talk about the birth and early life of Moses and Jesus. I think that it's going to be necessary to encapsulate these two scenarios, of two individuals who I know for a fact were supposed to introduce something, right? We know that. But to know that Moses was being prepared for a future event is incredible. I believe that what God is about to do right now, praise God, God bless you, amen, how's your husband doing, send my love please, so a lot of you don't know who she is, but she's here more times than many on Thursday nights. She is a prayer warrior, and she's here. She's here uh, seeking the Lord on Thursdays. So you get your Thursdays, right, and then you got Sunday as well. But she has a a home church um, um, in Long Island, right? I see. I remember. Um, But I'm glad that you were able to come out and join us today. Praise God. Welcome. So as we go into this, I want to make sure that we understand the parallels, First thing is the miraculous birth. Moses' parents, Amram and Jochebed, they hide him for three months to protect him from Pharaoh's decree. Eventually, they place him in a basket on the Nile River where he's found and adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. I think one of the most biggest parts of that scene is understanding that Jesus also had to go through something similar. And to know why these similarities, I believe God is in his strategic way of doing things, understands that the devil, now listen to this, you need to know this. Satan has no ability to know what the future really is. So let's let's get that right. Satan is not prophetic, pathetic. And his lack of prophecy causes him to speculate. So one of the key elements of Satan is that he's a speculator. He speculates. His accusations are based on speculation. That's why he has to go to a courtroom to manifest his accusation. Does that make sense? If he he wants to do something to you, he requires evidence, and he has to present that evidence, like in a courtroom, to be able to get the manifestation of that. He can't just do something to you just because. It has to be based on accusation. So when you look at the... um, Miraculous birth of Moses, and also the divine intervention. We can also apply that to ourselves. Divine intervention, simply put, is God's hand being evident by causing there to be a survival, right? Survival by way of his intervention. So let's talk about that for a minute. We have Moses on a basket. And one of the questions I ask, a miracle is not necessarily A miracle if you have all the answers to it, right? Once you find out how it happened, you kind of remove the miraculous of it. But where you don't remove the miraculous is the timing. Timing. Think about that for a minute. When we talk about the timing of God, it took them how many months before they, how how long were they trying to hide Moses? Three months. In those three months, they must have figured out something. What did they figure out in those three months? That he would eventually what? Grow up and get caught. So then obviously, three months, you know what? We we try to hide him. We can't keep hiding him. We got to think of something. The game plan was what, guys? What was the game plan to put him where? I said earlier. In a what? Put him in a basket. Put him in a basket and be led all the way to Pharaoh's daughter. So God's timing is... Pharaoh's daughter has to be at a certain place at a certain time to be able to see the child. There has to be the timing of God because what could possibly happen? I, I know the, de- the depiction of that and when we look at a, a movie like The Prince of Egypt. You know, you see alligators and all the... And you saw The Prince of Egypt, right? You saw it? You saw it? No? You didn't? All right. You just saw it, right? Yeah. You see all the attempts on his life while he's in the basket? I don't think that's far-fetched I don't think that's far-fetched I think that God's protection was on the assignment so nothing could touch Moses in the basket and what's awesome is that he ends up coming to a place where Pharaoh's daughter's what can actually see it's a visual and a decision is made the decision is what's the decision made to take Moses in, but then there's something else that happens because no Pharaoh's daughter takes care of their child on their own. Talk about laziness, huh? Why? Because their prestige did not allow them to have to be there with their child, so they got what? What did they get? Handmaidens. That's correct. So who became Moses' handmaiden or the one who took care of him? His mother, look at the strategy of God. Miriam went and got her mother to become the one to take care of Moses. Unfortunately, that doesn't get depicted a lot in the movies, but he knew Hebrew. He knew the language. He knew who he was. It wasn't this area of a mistake. He knew who he was. And because he knew who he was, he was able to be, be transparent to himself, understanding that yeah, I am what? I'm Hebrew. Now, did everyone else know he was Hebrew? No, because that child, it, it was almost made it, it made it seem as if he was really a child or son of the Pharaoh's daughter. So he got all the privileges. It's called double citizenship or dual citizenship. He was 100% Hebrew by blood, but he was also 100% Egyptian because he was being raised up as an Egyptian. So he got the education. He got all the know-how. He got the logistical knowledge. Think about how God plans ahead, guys. What better person to free the the Jews or the Hebrews than somebody who studied logistics within Egypt learned how to move a crowd of people. God was preparing him to be the savior of the people. That's powerful. I don't know about you. When I think about how God plans things from birth, because a child doesn't know how to speak to a group of people. A child doesn't know how to even hold himself up, right? But yet God already had an assignment on Moses when he was still unable to process. And that's the God we serve who's always ahead of the game. Divine interve- intervention. God's hand was evident throughout Moses' birth narrative. His survival, adoption into Pharaoh's household, positioned him to play a crucial role in delivering the Israelites from bondage. So everything that Moses did, everything, was because he was being prepared to be a deliverer. His whole life was put together, even when he murdered, now that's the part I didn't mention the last one, even when he murdered that man. That murder was a part of the process. Now, you say, that's messed up. How can that be? No, it's not messed up because the grand plan of God, God, will never be altered. His plan will never be altered, and whatever needs to happen will take place so that the assignment will be complete. Amen? Now, the same thing with the narrative, the birth narrative of Jesus in the book of Luke. Luke. You have the Annunciation. Mary is visit, visited by the angel Gabriel, who tells her that she will conceive a son through the Holy Spirit. Mary's humble submission to God's plan contrasts with Moses' parents' efforts to save him. In this case, she was submitted. And you think about if we can get that. Can you wait? Is anybody back there? Oh, praise the Lord! Thank you, Jesus. We talk about this area of. Mary versus the area of understanding the throne. You you look at the position that was given Jesus. Jesus was assigned a task from birth, but his birth had to speak of his assignment. So what happens? We all know the story. We all know that he was born in a manger. We all know that he was born in Bethlehem, Bethlehem. the reason why he was born in Bethlehem was because Bethlehem's the name Bethlehem besides the prophecy the name of Bethlehem means house of bread. We know that the house of bread needed to be part of the whole narrative because what did Jesus say he was? Who did he say he was? I am the I'm the bread of life. So we had to, he had to come from the house of bread to give bread to the world. And we also find that there's a breakdown. Now, this is the reason why this is up because I want to talk about a little bit about the Matthew versus Luke uh, scenario regarding uh, Jesus. Uh, whoever found this, this this is such a, you found it? This is excellent. This is the best explanation. I would suggest you guys to take a picture of it because this will show you the great divide when David, you know, took, took, took on the throne. You find that, Solomon and Nathan were the two sons of David. But the rendition of Matthew literally comes from the breakdown of the the Hebrew or the Jewish lineage starting with Abraham. So Matthew was all about the messianic approach. Whereas Luke goes to the bloodline. So the book of Luke really goes all the way to Mary. And, of course, Joseph, was, who's not related to Jesus by blood. You know where Joseph is related to Jesus? All the way to David. That's where he's related to Jesus. In other words, all those people there represent a hierarchy or a throne That needed to still be represented because Jesus was not only going to be acknowledged as the king of heaven, but he also needed to be acknowledged as the king on earth. So the throne in Matthew had to be presented, but the bloodline is through Luke. And Luke does something that I think is more fascinating. Luke decides to bring it from the point of Adam. He goes all the way to Adam. Um, I don't think in this one it, it shows it all the way to Adam, does it? No, only from David, right? So beyond David, it goes all the way to Adam, and only Luke gives us that rendition. So if ever anybody tells you, you know, what is the uh, the, chrono- uh, the the genealogy of Jesus to Adam? Don't give him Matthew. Show him in Luke, Luke chapter three. That's the breakdown. And again. I needed to show you the difference between Matthew and Luke because someone who doesn't know the word, it's happened to me, they've come to me and they told me, see, I found a contradiction. And it's the funniest thing, right? Because because it's the first chapter, they'll read it and they'll look at it and go, look, I see there's a difference here. And if you don't know the narrative, then you're going to be like, you're going to read that with them and go, oh, snap, it's true. Because you don't know that there's a reason for it. And you don't realize that in Luke, even though Luke is giving acknowledgement to Joseph, it's not Joseph, it's Mary. Because they got to acknowledge the male and not the female in that case. Everybody clear on that? All right, so let's talk about the, the day that Jesus was born. That moment where Jesus was born... Unfortunately, people have included kings. As a matter of fact, they even say that there are three kings. What a grave mistake that is. That's when you know the word was just read but not really analyzed, not really looked looked through in detail. Um, When you exegete or that's a a fancy way of saying just kind of like going in and and breaking down and using uh, critical thinking. You would think that there are three kings, because it, it kind of sounds like it, right, that came and saw Jesus when he was born. But what you, if you pay attention to the story, as a matter of fact, let's do that. Let's go to Matthew, and let us, let us identify the difference between the two, because I think this is, this is going to be clear. Uh, chapter 2. So, so when you are a critical thinker and you learn how to read the word with a critical mind, you're not so caught up with the, over, you know, the surface of. You start to go deeper in. Look what it says. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem. About what time? about that time not when he was born about that time and it's going to make more sense watch where where is the newborn king of the jews we saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him king herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this as was everyone in jerusalem he called a meeting of the leading priests and the teachers of religious law and asked where is the messiah supposed to be born in Bethlehem in Judea. So people, they, they knew the word. They knew the prophetic word. They said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the separate for my people Israel. When then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was, not born, where the child was. That's key. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house. How oh, did they enter? Not the manger. They entered the house. They entered the house and saw the child was with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Stop there for a minute. Go back. Yep. They entered the house. Okay, a house already lets you know that it wasn't the manger in Luke chapter 2. We find out here really fast that what's taking place is at another time. And the other thing is, it never says three kings. You never see any indication of it being three kings. What you see is what? Three gifts. And the gifts are? Gold, Frankincense and myrrh. Why gold, frankincense and myrrh? I guess there's always something new that you give the second class. It's crazy. I just found myself doing it right now. Gold, frankincense and myrrh. Why gold, frankincense and myrrh? Gold because he was a king. Frankincense. That's the second. that's the third one. What's the second one? Frankincense because? Because he's a priest. Francis is priesthood. And the third one is because it represents the passing away. Because every dead person, every person that died, they would put myrrh on them. Myrrh was the sacrifice. So king, priest, sacrifice. That was the three gifts. King, priest, sacrifice. Now, these three gifts were also on the tabernacle, which we'll talk about at another time. The tabernacle has all three of those gifts on it to show the promise of king, priest, and sacrifice. So these kings came to fund the assignment. It was the funding of the assignment. You know why? Because God is not a deadbeat dad. He will make sure that his son has everything he needs for the assignment to come. As a matter of fact, he gave him so much gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Immediately after this, they were able to do something. Verse 13 to 13. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph. After the wise men gave them their funding... An angel, of the Lord, appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. The angel said, "Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search you, search for the child to kill him." So Egypt again represents another place of refuge. Both Moses and Jesus had a place of refuge. They go there to be protected. Y'all with me so far? So watch this. Prior to the the, the wise men coming in, they didn't have the resources to make this move. God didn't tell, he doesn't tell you to leave a place without giving you the resources for the place. When God speaks to you and God tells you to get up and go, it's because he already has stuff established for you to go. It's clear. So He waited till those three gifts were given, which were all worth a lot of money. How about if I told you that the funding was so strong that God gave um, uh, Jesus, Joseph, and Mary, that they were able to open up their own store, their own chain. They had their own Walmart back then. But it had to do with carpentry. See, when everyone knows that you're the carpenter, it's because you are a chain in the area. Everyone knew Joseph was the carpenter. So there must have been something that was given that allowed him to have that much to build up an organization like that, that everyone in the region knew who he was. He went to Nazareth, which was not really a wealthy place, but he was able to build in Nazareth. And everyone knew who Jesus was. Mark chapter 6 gives us a glimpse of everyone knowing who Jesus was. That when he went back to Nazareth, everyone knew who he was. They said, wait a second, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this the son of Walmart? Right? what, What do you mean? I can't believe it. I remember when he was a kid. You mean to tell me he's the Messiah? Mind you, prior prior to them figuring it out, they were listening to him. That's the power of familiarity. Familiarity will keep a person from receiving from someone else because they're familiar with them. Oh, no, that's, it's not possible. Oh, yes, it is possible. It is quite possible that you can even be ministered by a child. And you've got to be able to be attentive to that. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother. So they took off. They they were able to go to Egypt, and they were able to, to obtain the protection that was necessary. But you know where they went afterwards? After the danger was over? Because after the danger is done, God will then send you to a place, not for protection, but to prosper. So the first one is survival. But the second one is thrival. You will survive for a season to then now thrive in the next one. The birth narrative of Jesus is one that many people have altered. They've, they've said that the, uh, the kings came at the same time. You've seen it before, right? The kings coming in with the shepherds at the same time. That's false information. It's not true. The shepherds never got to meet the kings, and the kings never got to meet the shepherds. There was no connection there. As a matter of fact, it was a two-year difference. Why were the shepherds selected? Why the shepherds? Because the shepherds is the field of endeavor of Jesus, to be a pastor, to be a shepherd. So they were chosen to be present, to be able to declare Jesus as Lord on earth. They teamed up with the angels in heaven. And that connection with the angels allowed there to be a celebration that shepherds were included in. That's amazing. These shepherds were in the field with stinky sheep. You know, they were laying down, you know, with their their dirty clothes. and, And God says, I invite you to the birthday, the first birthday of my son, You are invited because he's born. Now, first birthday is the first day. We always go one full year and then we say that's year one. But the truth is, if you really want to get technical, that first day you come out of that womb, that's your birthday. That's day one. Amen. That just, that just like dawned on me wow that that's celebration day and that's the day that was celebrated all of heaven now why would heaven celebrate why would heaven celebrate you know how there's always new trends right i always wonder where true new trends come out like this whole new trend with the boy and the girl and and the blue and and the pink now everybody does that. everybody on the whole planet does that right i'm wondering if somebody will ever toss that out, celebrating the day of the birth. You know, we, because the, the, the child is recovering, the mother's recovering, nobody's trying to do a party on that day, right? Like, you gotta do a party on that day. But can you imagine if there's a celebration that takes place on the day of the birth? Everybody's coming out with, with trumpets and all types of stuff. Imagine that becomes a trend. Who's, you're born when? Let's make it happen. All these balloons and all this stuff comes out on the day of. Just a thought. Who knows? That thought might be manifested. Well, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Ooh, look at that. Thank you, Lord. Amen. But but you, but you see how that becomes something. And just like the Annunciation, you know, Mary is visited by the angel Gabriel who tells her that she will conceive I can, ima- I can only imagine what that moment must have felt like for her. To be able to, to speak to an angelic being and that angel tell you, uh, blessed are you amongst all women and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus, right? That's a big deal. To be told by an angel, you have been selected by God, In the midst of all the women in all the world, you were the one, particularly this moment, this time, to be selected to carry the seed of God. That required no other competition because each one of us here, by the way, if you don't know it, I'm going to tell you now. You are part of a competition. You're here because there were others that were competing against you to be here. Some of y'all looking at me like, what in the world are you talking about? Do you understand that you come from a group of millions and you're the one that made it to the egg? You were selected. Listen, listen. You were the one. That's why I tell people, what you, you can't be weak. You made it through the first tier of humanity. You broke through and there was one right behind you, right there. And you made it there first. And then you closed it up. How many know what I'm talking about? These guys are looking at me crazy. You know what I'm talking about? Amen. Don't look at me crazy. It's okay to speak of God's greatness. But see, the thing about the one, he didn't have competition. The Holy Spirit says, the word of God says the Holy Spirit hovered upon her shadowed her, and she received the seed that led to the birth of our Lord and Savior. Amazing, supernatural, no need for competition. Praise God. I talked about the birth in Bethlehem. Joseph and Mary traveled to Bethlehem for a census, fulfilling the prophecy that the Messiah would be born in the city of David, they find no room in the inn. We, we heard about that. It, was, it wasn't that they were broke. It had nothing to do with about their financial status. It was that there was no room. It had nothing to do with financial status. There was no room. They had The only place they had was the inn, was the, um, the, uh, the stable. That was it. Nothing to do with not having anything. And there was an actual census going on in the, in the region. And that census was the one, the reason why they ended up in that place because they were trying to get a census on everyone who was of the tribe of Judah. So they had to go to that place, Bethlehem, to be able to be accounted for. When's the next census for for the United States? Anybody know? Huh? It happened a couple of years ago, I know, but 2024? Uh I don't know, but you know, we see the power of a census, because it lets you know who's where and who should be allocated what, so on and so forth. Heavenly announcement I already touched on. An angel appears to shepherds proclaiming who Jesus is. Miraculous beginnings. Both narratives highlight the miraculous circumstances surrounding the birth of Moses and Jesus, underscoring their special roles in God's plan. Divine intervention. What is divine intervention? That's God intervening in something that would have taken a different approach or it would have gone somewhere else. He divinely enters in and he alters what needs to be altered or he sets right what needs to be set right. Deliverance. Moses is destined to deliver the Israelites from Egyptian bondage. And Jesus is delivering humanity from sin. Both Jesus and Moses, anointed leaders, we know that. Moses becomes the leader and lawgiver of Israel, while Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of God's law and the Messiah. Fulfillment of prophecy. Both birth fulfill prophecies. Moses' birth is foretold by God to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 15, verses 13 through 14. If we can read that, Genesis chapter 15, verses 13 to 14, God told Abraham about Moses. Genesis 15, 13, and 14. Here we go. Then the Lord said to Abram, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, and in the end they will come away with great wealth. As for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land for the sins of the Amorites, Do not yet warrant their destruction. In other words, that whole 400 years was to the T. Moses pops on the scene. That is the prophetic word that he was to fulfill. And Jesus' birth is fulfilled in the Old Testament by the virgin birth. We have that there. Um, That's Isaiah 7.14. Isaiah 7.14. Ah, there it is. All right, then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And so that's the the concept. And by the time this child is old enough to choose what is right and reject what is wrong, he will be eating yogurt and honey. The land of milk and honey, right? Yogurt and honey. So... These promises needed to be fulfilled. And last but not least, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Micah 5.2. Micah 5.2. There it is. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephratah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past will come from you on my behalf. Stop there. Stop there. Go back. Ooh, Jesus. Yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past will come from you on my behalf. In other words, the plan for Jesus to be the Savior, to be the one to um, remove us from captivity was way before. And the plan of him being born in Bethlehem, it was important that Bethlehem was the place to fulfill the prophetic word that we're seeing here now. In summary, while the birth narratives of Moses and Jesus share some common themes, Such as miraculous birth and divine intervention. They each serve a unique purpose in the unfolding of God's redemptive plan. Moses' birth sets the stage for the liberation of the Israelites. While Jesus' birth marks the arrival of the Savior who brings deliverance to all humanity. And with this I'm going to conclude because it's just a lot. early life and calling of Moses we know that Moses was called in exodus chapter 3 by a burning bush in other words the burning bush was used to catch his attention god will use certain things and moments to get your attention don't be surprised when you find yourself being being pulled By something that really wasn't supposed to be like, you you didn't think that that would be the case. God will use whatever he needs to use to draw you, to bring you to that place. Now, a burning bush, I like the way Moses put it. He said, man, it was a bush, burning bush that was burning, but it wasn't being what? It wasn't being consumed. Right, it wasn't being burned. You're right. It wasn't being consumed. So there was no fuel being used as, the, as it being the, the bush. The bush was not being consumed. But just as Moses' first calling was by way of fire, his le- or his, his uh, ministry being prompted by fire, so was Jesus' ministry by water. One started in fire, the other one started by way of water. He got baptized and he was launched. Interesting how Moses also went through the same process of children being under the age of two were being killed, right? Because again, the devil did not know when, he didn't know who either. And so his goal was to try to figure out who is this Messiah. He knew the plan because it's been mentioned time and again, but he just didn't know who it would be. So of course, when Jesus shows up on the scene, he's now trying to figure it out. Even when the ministry of Jesus started, he's trying to figure out why. Is this guy really who he says he is? Let me ask him. What did Jesus do after the baptism, guys? He gets baptized and God's ministry. How about those 40 days and 40 nights? How about the time when he was being tempted by the enemy? How about if I told you that moment was more intricate, and more important, those 40 days and 40 nights? Because he fasted that whole time, and the attack starts from the external to the internal, Luke chapter 4. If you see the three attacks that were, were, were caused by the enemy, those three attacks started from the external and it went all the way to the internal. He started first with the flesh. What did he tell him? I know you're hungry. So, you know, there's some rocks over here. Turn these rocks into what? Into bread. That was the flesh. Jesus overcame that immediately. And the second one was what? The soul. The attack on the soul because now the devil introduces to him all the kingdoms of the world. If you just bow down to me, I'll give it all to you. So I already own it. What are you talking about? And then the last one was the spirit. Now, listen to this. To attack the spirit, you must attack by way of the word. The devil knows the word. Let's Let's not mistake in that. He knows the word, so he had to attack by way of the word. You know what he does? He picks out Psalms 91, 11, and he talks about how the word says you can toss yourself from the precipice, and he will make sure that not one bone in your body will break, and Jesus' response was what? He said that He said that later on, but there was something that he told Satan at that moment. Very good. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. You want to pull scripture on me? I'm the word. You're going to tell me scripture. I'm the word. So it was one attorney against another. And, and of course, Jesus always wins. He hasn't lost a battle. There's a song that goes with that. He has never lost a battle. He always wins. Well, that was proof. He overcame the flesh, overcame the soul, and overcame the spirit. In other words, all three areas were the attack against him. Where do people mostly fail? You even go further. Right, right the flesh. It has to feel good. That's, that's where they fail. The enemy doesn't have to... He doesn't have to have a lot of plans with the spirit part. You know, he, he goes right to the, to the flesh. You know, you're hungry. You know you want to eat. Come on, make it happen. That's all he needs to do because the surface is where the world mostly believes they are. We believe that we are the flesh. We don't realize that we're a spirit, given a soul, living in a body. We are a spirit... Given a soul, living in a body. We are what? When the body is no longer there, do you stop existing? You continue to exist. Your existence is not predicated on your day of birth. For you were not born in the flesh, you were born in the mind of God. And because you were born in the mind of God, that means that the day you existed was not when you came out of the womb of your mother. The day you existed was the moment you were thought about. Jeremiah chapter 1. From the womb of your mother, I saw you being weaved in the darkness of the womb. That's in the word, as the psalmist said. And so our existence is beyond that. And so once we learn these truths, we're not, there will be a time, folks, there will be a time where we're not going to be so afraid of death. Not yet, but it'll it'll come. We'll realize that death is a segue. I think what people are more concerned about is the fact that I'm going to miss that person. I'm not going to be able to talk to that person, at least not now. The truth is, death is not the end all. And that's why it's so important to make sure that people realize that they need to have the right attorney in heaven. And if you don't have that right attorney, you're in in trouble because you're going to have to speak on your own behalf. And you're going to stumble on words. No one can speak that good. As the enemy is saying, hey, go to Volume 3. Go to Volume 3, Section 2. Let's see what he did then. Can you speak about that one, that one you did there? If you can't say Jesus at that moment, you're stuck. If the blood of Jesus is not present for that moment in the courtroom, what are you going to say? Oh, but I'm a good person. I give things to people. Really? It won't be based on benevolence that people will make it to heaven. I know this is not a story that people like talking about. But it's a truth. We must be connected spiritually to the promises of God to be able to partake in the promises of God. You understand that 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 uh, um, uh, prisoner, the thief on the cross with Jesus, he didn't have to say he didn't have to say much. All he said was, "Remember me," and that's all we need to do is be remembered in the courtroom. Just be remembered. Early life and calling of Jesus, we know about the virgin birth, we know about the incarnation, we know about the annunciation and ministry, we know about the divine identity. Jesus' divine identity is revealed through his teachings, through his miracles, and claims about himself, such as being the I am, John eight fifty eight. He makes it clear he is the I am. If he's saying he's the I am, what is he also saying, guys? That he is what? What was God's name? I am that I am. Because you cannot, I cannot be stationary. You cannot place me in just one place in time. I am that I am, and I have to give you that name so that you understand that that transcends time, space, and generations. I can't give you a name that singles me out to one place. That's why when people say, I cast you out in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth, now you're depending on his human side and not his spiritual right, Christ side. I still hear people today, today still say, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I'm like, do you know what you're saying? You're saying the origin Jesus and not the I am Jesus. Ah, You're saying the origin, the one who was born, and he wasn't even born in Nazareth. How about them apples? Why aren't you saying Jesus of Bethlehem? In the name of Jesus of Bethlehem. Because the truth is that he's a, if we're going with birth, if we're basing it on birth, that you are where you're born, then it can't be Nazareth because he wasn't born in Nazareth. Well, that is so good. That is so good. So why are we saying Jesus of, in, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth when the truth is he was born in Bethlehem? All right, well, guess what? Neither one of those count. I say in the name of Jesus the Christ because the Christ part of Jesus is what has power. It's him being the Christ that overcame death. Because Jesus, you ready for this? Jesus of Nazareth died. Jesus the Christ never did. <laughs> Jesus the Christ remained alive. It's just that he had to go through the transition of death because the Nazarene had to die because the Nazarene was just flesh. But Jesus the Christ is who resurrected on the third day. Is anybody getting this? Y'all got to get this. The power of knowing position. Who is Jesus? Born of a virgin, 100% human, 100% God. Intentionally did a Kronos thing so that he would not be Kairos on purpose. Understand that. When he said he did not know the day and the hour, only the Father knows, is because he dumbed himself down on purpose. Because even moments after that, in John 5, he says, All authority has been granted me to judge. That means all authority. So when we look at that, we pay attention to the verbiage. In the name of Jesus, the Christ. Son of the Most High God. Well, guess what? When the demons figured out who Jesus was, they didn't go, oh, my God, Jesus of Nazareth. You know what they said? Jesus, we know who you are, Son of the Most High God. Go to Mark 5. It says it clearly. They never acknowledged Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. Why? Because there's a whole lot of Jesus of Nazareth. That name was a common name back then. So there were a lot of Jesus of Nazareth, but there was no one to say, Jesus the Christ, Son of the Most High God. So yes, it is important what we say and what we believe and what we understand. It is. It is important. It's the reason why the the church has been stagnant for so long. Because we are, we're basing it on routine and religious attributes and religious customs. And we're not realizing there's more to this that Jesus wanted to show us. What's in the name? Well, I'll tell you what's in the name. Jesus asked the question in Matthew 16 to his disciples. Who do you say I am? But before he said that, he said, who do people say I am? So there was an understanding of, you know, what are people saying? Because that is important. But who do you say I am? And when Peter blurred out and said, you are the son of the most high God. You are the Messiah. Jesus looked at him and said, only my father could have given you that. You said it with such clarity. Only my father could have given you that. And so today, it's just as important to know who Jesus is so we can witness the power. If you're thinking that it's the verbiage of in the name of Jesus and not knowing who Jesus is, you're highly mistaken. Sinners say Jesus than most most Christians, believe it or not. Step on their toes a couple times, you find out. Knock on their door or bang on their door, see what they say. Jesus Christ, who's at the door? And they'll add some extra words there too. They say Jesus all the time. Do you think there's power when they release the name? No. But when you know the name and you speak the name, there's power in the name. Amen? Please stand.